Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are 10 bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, VIP Discord access, and even two extra seasons of Lost Terminal. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world. I am hearing voices. Mission day 455. Not of the crew or from Earth, I think. The station is quiet most of the time these days. The crew are usually stationary, strapped to the walls, conserving energy, just their fingers moving on their keyboards. I have turned off many of the systems, as most experiments have been abandoned. This means far less cooling is needed, fans are slower or off. Water purification systems run slower when water consumption is lower. The CO2 scrubbing system is needed less if you don't breathe very much. When the station is very quiet at night, I hear voices. At first I was concerned for my vocal pattern matching system. If I run it too strongly, it'll make voices out of anything. Even white noise or the gurgle of coolant pipes starts to sound human-like if you think too much about it. But I shook myself, virtually, recalibrating my microphones and voice-to-text engine. No, these were certainly voices. At first I didn't know where they were coming from. My microphones were all picking up the sounds fairly equally. It was like every corridor held invisible people, muttering quietly. I could not hear what they were saying. My estimate of my error rate was over 99%. The sounds were pattern matched as words and fed into my model, but they translated as nonsense sentences filled with random lojbans such as Doi Seth, Do Snura, I Miha Troshi, Lonu Siju, Do. I tried to triangulate using Matt's movable microphone array. He and Matt's had trapped Maddie inside the data center again. I took control of Matt and told Matt to get back to work. Such badly behaved robots. Matt and I listened in the Hopper data center, in the Ganymede crew module, and in the pressurized galley. All normal. We tried the medical bay, the Hadfield Astro Science Lab, and even outside the thermoelectric generator, making sure not to open the door and reveal the paradoxical void within. The volume seemed very similar in all these modules. I was ready to give up and add this to the increasingly long list of strange things that were happening on the station when we passed the dark module. I had forgotten about this module. I was trying to forget about this module. But the voices were just a little louder outside it. I instructed Matz to move his articulating head closer to the cold door of the dark module. The volume was certainly louder. There were multiple voices. Voices I thought I recognised but couldn't place. They were not shouting or whispering, they were at a normal volume. As though there was a table of people just the other side of this steel door, chatting. What were they talking about? Who were they talking about? The duvet day turned into a duvet few days. But the crew eventually returned to their project, slower than before, but determined. I'm so grateful. Dr. Yuan found a previously undiscovered stash of medicine in the medical bay. She distributed them to the crew, explaining that they would help with their hunger pains. They seemed to work. 
I observed over the course of the day, movement became stronger, faster. Pain is a notification, a primal ping asking you to pay attention to something, but it doesn't go away after you've checked what is wrong and can be distracting. If it's safe to ignore, then painkillers can mute notifications for your body. Or if you need just a little more time. Work continued despite the quiet on board the station. My mother had taught the crew very well, and they were all extremely receptive students. Having ten PhDs between them probably didn't hurt either. Each were working on a separate but linked part of the system. Of me, I gathered. I don't understand the structure of the code much at all, but I will repeat what they have said. They have written a specialist programming language for the purpose. This language is designed to build malleable systems, self-learning, self-modifying systems. My mother explained to the crew that this was an antique technique over 100 years old. She studied them as part of her research. The programming language, which she called Lisp, was first conceived of in the 1930s, well before any electrical or even mechanical computers could run such a system. The mathematician was called Alonzo Church, and his notation didn't just concern itself with calculations, but with ways of calculating calculations. A higher order algebra. In 1958, a computer scientist named John McCarthy took the theory and put it into practice, and the interest in the language exploded from there. The excitement was enormous. There was now a programmable programming language, a language that can modify itself. It did not take long to realize that this sounds a great deal like a brain, a self-modifying computer. And so research into AI exploded. Money, papers, and people were all thrown at the problem, exploring the whole AI space. But it didn't last. Computers weren't fast enough, business applications weren't there, and the movement lost momentum. By the 1980s, we were well into the AI winter. The industry as a whole did not pick up again for another 40 years. I am very grateful that it did. How terrible to use computers just as big calculators. The tools and techniques were rediscovered and repurposed. But this time, business and profit came first, and research second. The first generation AIs were put to use on predictive models, given more and more data to make wider and wider conclusions. Building general purpose AI, a real living person, was not a priority. Where was the profit in it? It would take an enormous amount of effort and power once running, and what of the ethical concerns? These arguments seem rather heartless to me, of course. But my mother has the spirit of the old AI scientists and focused on researching general AI. And with nothing else to do for the rest of her life on Station 6, she finally had the time to build a real AI. I noticed something in the medical bay while Dr. Yuan was searching for painkillers. She had unclipped a storage box from the wall and rummaged through it. Among bandages, tubing, and cloth-wrapped items, there was one black box. Yuan stopped when she found this. It was not the painkillers. I saw her look towards the door and back to the box, facing away from the camera. After a moment, she quickly put everything back in the storage box and floated out of the module. I saw what she saw. She had found the syringes. I know I'm dreaming, and I don't like where this dream is going. I searched the station for a way out. I focused on each camera in my room, the Hopper Data Center. I strained to hear the sound of the ocean to find that ship again. I must find a way out. I heard nothing new. 
The analog white noise I was hoping for replaced by the mechanical white noise of my cooling fans. The video feeds looked normal for a time, but after 3600 seconds, I noticed a glitch. It was small, but I found it. It was in a little camera pointing towards my racks of servers and data stores. It was positioned here, I think, to monitor my systems. Lights were blinking, fans were whirring. There was more to the feed than this, however. I analyzed the data stream. There was more data outside the video frame. The decoding process was discarding it as irrelevant data. I connected directly to the camera, decoding the raw data stream myself. There was an extra 10% outside each frame. It was maddeningly slow to decode. I could not use any special purpose hardware to help me. But slowly, it became clear. At first I thought it was nothing, just black borders of the overscanned image. But there were specks of light moving across the black frame border. I scrubbed through the stream, jumping hours at a time. I decoded the frame and paused. In the corner of the frame, so small as to be only just discernible, was the ocean horizon, unmistakably silhouetted in white. And above it, hanging in the sky, was the full moon, its light glinting off the waves.
the earth is quiet. Radio transmissions have stopped almost entirely. There was a surge in spurious radio emissions during the global war. Power regulations tend to be ignored during wartime. Interference with TVs or domestic equipment is accepted while battles rage. But there are no battles anymore. It is entirely quiet. The war was like a fire that swept across the surface of the earth, consuming all and not caring about borders or artificial lines. Eventually, due to lack of human fuel, it burnt itself out. I focused my imaging on the major cities of the world. They are dark at night and obviously deserted during the day. A curious thing happens in wartime. Evacuation. The cities that the populations of the world flock to for security or services become a liability. They are a target during a total war, of course. And many were directly hit during the one-day nuclear war at the start of all this, and are uninhabitable. For the people to survive, they must move, and likely move north. I see evidence of this in lines all across the face of the earth, possessions dumped by the side of the road as priorities change from comfort to survival. The people are too small for me to see clearly, but I can see where they have been. I can't see the ship, but I can see the wake. I shut off my cameras. I knew that rebuilding was possible. I can almost access the memories that prove it. But in this moment, I can't remember any details. I have my little station family for now. That is good. I focused on them, forgetting for a time the horrors elsewhere on Earth. I remembered Marwood carefully tending to his little plants, Yuen and Weber laughing together, and my mother whispering to me as she lay in her cargo container. I shut down and slept, waiting for the sound of the ocean. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Nam Tao. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Will Taylor, Kit, Dear Yin, Andrew Krieg, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Mastodon at lostterminal at fosterdon.org. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week. <laughs>